Hey, welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study uh, this week. Uh, these times of COVID, here, here we are again, uh, and I'm in quarantine. Uh, you know, the last time I was in quarantine, uh, we did the Wednesday Bible study outside in the beautiful weather. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, where I'm doing it from now is, is uh, the great state of Alabama. And outside right now, the high is about uh, 39, uh, 40, somewhere in that range. So not going to be sitting outside today, even though I could bundle up, maybe put on some camera. It would be great, but uh, going to do it here from the house again today. Uh, uh, we, we we're still waiting on tests to come back on whether we have COVID or not. Uh, my oldest son has it. He came home from Thanksgiving. We got exposed. So that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, but let's get to the more important topic of today. And that is we are about to wrap up. Uh, our study of First and Second Peter. We wrap up Second Peter today. Uh, so if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, let's go to Second Peter. Uh, we started in chapter three last week. We'll finish uh, from verse fourteen to the end of the book uh, in this uh, this Wednesday edition uh, of uh, of Second Peter. Be our six, I think, number six session uh, of this great book, and and we'll talk about that, um, you know, and what we're going to do here to wrap up, and then we'll talk about what's going to be next. Uh, we'll start a new series. Uh, next week, Lord willing, and uh, we're going to jump into a great book uh, by by J.I. Packer, uh, and that is the book Knowing God. It was it was released uh, many years ago, uh, and it takes on the topic of you know you can know God uh, as far as you know about God without ever really knowing God, and and so we'll jump into this uh, this book uh, beginning in our next study, Lord willing, as I said, uh, next Wednesday. Uh, so let's uh, let's uh, look at a couple of things you need to know. Uh, coming up in 2021, if you go to BurgessMinistries.com, BurgessMinistries.com, go there. You can see all the different man church services uh, or conferences we have coming up uh, in 2021. January 9th, Charleston, uh, Missouri will be there. Uh, it's, it's what we call a man church one day. Uh, which means that um, that we'll go there and spend half the day together. Rich Wingo will be there speaking. I'll be speaking. Andy Blanks will be part of a panel uh, answering some of your questions. Uh, we'll have praise and worship. We'll have you in Saturday morning, have you out by early afternoon. Uh, we also have a full weekend uh, conference coming up on the, uh, February the 19th and the 20th, our Pursuit Conference. We started that last year when we kicked off uh, themanchurch.com. Uh, we, that was our first ever conference. This will be our second one. And we'll We'll introduce you to the next 40-week curriculum. We already have our 40-week curriculum called The Pursuit. Uh, we, we have 101 churches uh, that are at some stage of doing that, some that are getting toward the end of it. Well, we'll offer a new 40-week curriculum, uh, and we'll launch that in February at the Pursuit Conference. And the next one will be Real Men. We'll take eight men of the Bible, do 40 weeks on these eight men, uh, and all the, the things you see, the good, the bad, uh, and, and how powerful God is in the life of ordinary men. Uh, so we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, in 2021. Uh, so go to com. Look at those upcoming events. If you need to get tickets for those, grab them. Uh, if they're not ticketed, then we'll just see you there. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Don't forget about um, themanchurch.com, the final uh, installment of the How to Be a Man 40-Day Devotional Trilogy. Uh, we've done The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. We've done Real Men of the Bible. And our third one is discipleship. What is it? You spend 40 days learning about what it looks like to be a disciple. What is discipleship? If you would like to pre-order uh, this next devotional, it's coming out in January. We'll ship them in January. But if you pre-order from How to Be a Man 
presale.com how to be a man presale.com if you place an order there i will autograph the copies when they come to the men on your christmas list or if you want to order it for yourself and you'll go ahead and get a card that you can print out and make a gift for christmas and then the book will come to them autographed in january all right so let's open up in a word of prayer lord thank you for today we do pray for our country we pray for our world uh, we pray for all those that uh, that are hurting today uh, and I pray, Lord, that as, as, as we celebrate this most wonderful time of year, when you came to us because we could not come to you, may, may today we open up your word in, in a special way to hear from you clearly and then apply it to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned, here we are in Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Now, what Peter's going to do to wrap up Second uh, uh, Peter, his second letter and his final letter, we don't hear from Peter uh, anymore after this. Uh, he's going to exhort uh, us one more time. Uh, as he wraps up to be sure that we get what he wants us to know, uh, which is incredible. I mean, exhortation is, is what Scripture says about itself, what it's good for. Uh, this has become uh, not so popular, uh, especially in the Western church. Uh, how dare anyone, uh, you know, exhort me with the Word of God, challenge me? Uh, you know, it, it was a perfect example. I, I got an email from someone uh, I guess it was yesterday. We we had done something on the Rick and Bubba show that this particular person didn't like because we had said some negative things about a person, and uh, and they put in the email the 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 worn out thing that we've talked about in this Bible study, which isn't true at all. And uh, the person said, "Well, I was taught as a Christian not to judge anyone." Um, and then I and I admit it was it was a little bit of a, a smart aleck remark and I and I own that but I I let this person know that I was I was doing this on purpose to make a, a bigger point and my response was but aren't you judging us right now uh, you just passed judgment on our behavior while saying that you were taught as a Christian by the way that's incorrect if somebody's taught you that not to judge no, the Bible says don't judge incorrectly. It doesn't say not to judge. Uh, it just says be sure you don't judge as a hypocrite. Be sure that you've assessed your own life before you bring up a biblical truth about someone else's behavior. So, I, And then I went ahead to explain. I said, I say that because really you have every right to look at our behavior, especially for those of us that claim to be Christians. And if you think we're not behaving correctly, you have the right to point that out. And as long as you're pointing it out biblically correct— you're not in sin to do so. Uh, the Bible does not say do not judge. It just says when you judge, be sure you're judging correctly and, uh, and know that uh, the same standard uh, that uh, this person that you may be making a note about, the same standard they're being held to is the same standard you're being held to. So I have found that people who speak into my life, uh, and even if it's exhortation, uh, it's actually quite beneficial to me if I'll drop my attitude and listen. So this is what uh, Peter wants us to, to know. He's going to give us a word of advice. And that word of advice to start out in, in verse 14 is for us to behave. Because remember what we talked about last week, and I, I've had a lot of people that have texted me or emailed me and said, wow, uh, last week, Peter really, what a message from Peter. Um, and, and that is that he's reminding us that this, this earth is going to be refined by fire. Uh, he's letting us know that the heavens and the earth, that they're going to burn. And in light of all this, we probably should live lives uh, that are godly and holy. Uh, and so he's coming back saying, since I've already told you that, 
Therefore, since I've already made this point, look what he says in 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, meaning what he just mentioned, since you're waiting on the return of the Lord, you're waiting for the earth to be uh, refined by fire. Since, Since you know that's coming, since you're waiting for these, be diligent and be found by him, talking about God himself, uh, without spot or blemish and at peace. So, so Peter is getting ready to, to wrap up. He knows that his earthly death, he's going to be martyred. He knows this is coming. This is his final letter to us. Uh, the first one told us that Silas uh, was writing this as he uh, you know, dictated it. Don't know if that's the case in Second Peter. Um, he doesn't make that point, uh, but we can assume maybe. But but anyway, the bottom line is this is his last word that he's going to give to the saints, that he's going to be giving to the church. Remember, the first letter from Peter was be careful for, for the persecution from outside the church, Nero, those that are that are coming after the church. This letter is be careful of false teachers and false prophets that rise up from within the church. So he says that we should be diligent. Now, now the Greek word that is used here that, that we're translating, and I'm using the English Standard Version, uh, diligent is what my Bible says. Uh, this is the Greek word that means to hasten to do something. Diligent, this is important. This is not something you get to later. Uh, this is something that you're devoted to now. Uh, you, you are to exhort yourself to be diligent to assess Remember what Paul said, uh, you know, to, to be sure that we look at ourselves to see if what we claim to believe, there's evidence of this, that we're, we have some integrity. And so he says, this is not the attitude of wait and see what happens. You know, when Peter is talking about us to be diligent, this is not kind of a haphazard, hey, hey you might want to think about that at some point. I mean, I wouldn't make it a big deal today. One of the emails that I got last week from somebody who's watching uh, this Bible study or listening to it was they said the word that uh, last week's study spoke to them was that they acknowledged that they had fallen victim to knowing they needed to make changes in their life but they, they fell in that category of, but just not today. Well, that is not what Peter is saying. He's saying you be diligent about this, knowing what's coming. You know, we could say two things, knowing that my earthly death could happen any day or knowing that Christ could return and knowing uh, that, uh, you know, that, that sin is going to be eradicated from this earth and all that are they're not reconciled back to a holy God, any who are not redeemed, uh, as sin is being removed, then, then those people, and hopefully that would not be you and it wouldn't be me, uh, it, but if you're not redeemed, it would be you, that those people will be removed from God's presence. They, they will be done away with. Uh, they'll go the way of, uh, of the fallen creation. So he says, knowing this, you be diligent and then you want to be found, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, when Christ would do the parables about uh, the return of the master and, and you never know the day the master is going to return and, and be sure that you're found doing his business. Uh, don't be caught on the day that uh, the master shows up that you haven't been doing the work. So here's Peter saying this. He said, be diligent, meaning you need to, to act on this. Be found by him, talking about God, Christ, when he returns, without spot or blemish. So, so to be found without spot or blemish, this means to be found free from anything that defiles God. 
Therefore, since the end is coming, either by your earthly death or the return of Christ, be diligent to be found by him when he returns or you stand before him if your earthly death takes place, that when you stand there, you are found without blemish and without spot. Now, how does that happen? Uh, how, how is a person perfect? Well, I'll tell you how they're perfect. Is, is they're under the authority of Christ. Uh, they have been reconciled to a holy God through redemption provided by Christ. So be sure you're found in Christ. You be diligent about that, you know, working out your salvation, pursuing Christ. I, I had a conversation with a man yesterday, uh, and uh, he was saying that he did not have a faith in Christ, and some of his children were asking questions that, that he didn't know the answers to, and I was honored that he trusted me to help him with that. And he said, you know, I, I just, I'm not, I haven't made this decision in my life. And then I asked him a, a, a question. I asked him for permission first. To be, to be respectful, I said, uh, if you think this this question is um, unreasonable or over the line, then then I'll take it back. And he said, no, I, I give you permission to ask me whatever you want to. And I said, have you ever pursued Christ? You say that you're kind of kicking the tires on this, but can you honestly say that you have ever sought Christ? Like you put energy into finding out everything you could possibly ever want to know about Jesus and then deciding whether you want to reject him or not. Have you even taken that step? You know what he said? I never have. And, and I knew that was going to be the answer because, um, you know, it's one thing to say that I have exhausted the effort to pursue Christ and I find that I don't believe it or I may believe it and just reject him. But most people that aren't sure whether they'll be found without spot or blemish uh, when God returns, um, is if they were honest, they've never really put any time in it. They, they haven't even begun. You can't ask a question or answer a question that's never been asked. So have you, have you pursued Christ? H have you looked into it? And so had a good conversation about that with this man yesterday. Uh, so when he says to be blameless, and, it, and look at this word, it says, and be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, I know a lot of times somebody will see this and they'll be like, oh, well, he's talking about you need to be at peace with, with people. Well, Scripture says that we should be at peace with people as much as it depends on us. But sometimes you can't be at peace with people because they're going to demand something of us that only God can have. You know, you say, well, I want to be at peace with everybody. Well, what if they tell you that uh, they're not going to be at peace with you unless you compromise God? I mean, we see Nebuchadnezzar talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and they desired to be at peace with Nebuchadnezzar. But if, when he said, either bow to my idol or I'm going to throw you in the furnace, uh, well, then it's difficult to be at peace with him unless you want to compromise God, which they wouldn't do. So they weren't at peace with Nebuchadnezzar, and they were thrown into the fire. So that's not what Peter's talking about here. What Peter is talking about is he says just what I'm what I just finished telling you about. He's saying, "Be sure you're found at peace with God." Uh, you know, it, it's it, you know, and man as best you can in His sight. Now that's the key. Look what he says. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, talking about the end of the world, be diligent to be found by Him. So, so it's God's standard, be, be at peace with his standard. So not only do we need to be without spot or blemish and at peace 
with with him that that that's pretty obvious but that would also include the way we treat other people uh th- does he say that the the way that you you and I are behaving toward other people is that also his standard because some people say well I'm going to be at peace with other people no matter the cost no so if God came back and found Shadrach Meshach and Abednego uh at peace with Nebuchadnezzar but they were at peace with Nebuchadnezzar because they bowed to the idol would that be the standard that God was looking for? No. So it all goes back to everything, my relationship with him, which requires redemption in Jesus, and my relationship with other people all must be, Peter says, be found that you're living at his standard, meaning he's never compromised. So, so then we go on to, to 15 and 16. Peter says, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation – just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom wisdom given to him. Now, this is this gets really interesting when I was studying that this week, that now here's Peter uh, referencing Paul in his letter. So he's saying, consider the long suffering that, that, that they were going through, because he's talking, remember, to the Christians in the days of Nero. He says, consider the long suffering to be due to the patience of God, to allow maximum opportunity for salvation. If God had no patience, the human race has no chance, no chance at all to, to, to not die. They, They cannot escape death, eternal death without God's patience. And, and so you, you, God is going to, give us maximum opportunity to be redeemed either before our earthly death or before, you know, the return of Christ. And he says, remember this. So what you want to do is count the patience of our Lord as salvation, meaning that because of God's salvation, uh, there are people uh, that have are yet to repent. And what, uh, what, what Peter is saying is don't think that God's on some timeline that's unreasonable. You may be ready to go. I mean, hello, 2020. Have any of you followers of Jesus out there had times during this year you said, let's just go. Some of you are not looking forward to what's ahead. It, it may not get better. It may get worse. And so the easiest thing to say is I'm kind of ready to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I'm ready for the Lord's return. And I get that. I completely get that. I've been there. I remember when our family went through the earthly death of our youngest son. You know, Sherry and I looked at that, looked at our, each other on on many a day, and said, "Man, I just I'm just ready to go home." I mean, this is a this is an awful place. Uh, when babies die in in places like this, man, I'm just ready to go. I remember our youngest son here on earth with us, the, the, the second youngest of all of our children. Um, and uh, I remember we were on a flight to, to Israel, and I think I've told you this before, uh, on the one-year anniversary of um, a Bronner's death, that's my youngest son's name, his earthly death. And um, Sherry thought that our youngest son was uh, afraid of the flight, saying, what if the plane crashes? Uh, and my wife says, well, I don't think the plane's going to crash, baby. We're, we're going to get to Israel, and we're going to get back. To which you know the the seven year old said, "But it might," meaning he didn't really mind if his whole family, uh, since we're all on the same plane together, all were to end our lives together and all be where Jesus and Bronner uh, are located. 
So, so yeah, I understand getting tired of, of the process, but what Peter is telling us, and he says, and don't forget Paul reminded us of this, and we're going to unpack the Peter and Paul relationship here in a minute. It's really cool. But um, I, I've had those days, but I realize, and you probably do too, that there are people in my life right now that I have influence over, and at least I, I know and I have conversations with, that if Jesus Christ returned today, they would go to hell. They would. And uh, th- this takes us to the part about we need to have the same patience that the Lord has with us, with other people. And, and I, and I want to give you a word of encouragement today, and I want you to know that this really encouraged me is is when uh, I was reading one of the commentaries by John Phillips on Second Peter, and he started talking about – now, I've seen it pronounced two different ways, George Muller and George Mueller. Um, he, uh, he, he ran an orphanage in Bristol, England uh, in, the, in the mid to late 1800s. Uh, he died in the, in the late 1800s. Uh, and this or- orphanage that he ran, he never did a fundraiser campaign. Uh, all he did, nothing wrong with fundraiser campaigns. It just wasn't George's style. Um, and uh, there's there's great books and documentaries about his life. Uh, his, his name is George, and you spell his name M-U-L-L-E-R. But they put those two little dots over the U. So I've heard it as Mueller, and I've heard it as Mueller. Uh, but anyway, I think Mueller's right because of the, the dots. But, but anyway, you, that's how you spell it. Look for evangelists in Bristol, England, and you'll you'll see this. So God always provided what his orphanage needed. It, it said that he uh, took care of over 10,000 children uh, throughout his lifetime, and never once did he ask for a donation from anybody. The food, the, the stuff that they needed for the kids just came in every time they needed it. He had a powerful, powerful prayer life. So if you've got someone like I do in your life or people in your life that you're like, are they ever going to come to repentance? Are they ever going to come to redemption? Never, ever stop praying for them. And this is what Peter is reminding us. He said he had five people in his life. This is George Mueller or Mueller. He said he had five people in his life that he knew were not redeemed. And he, he prayed for them over and over again. And here's how it broke down the five people. All of them came to Christ, but I want you to listen to the time period. One of them came to Christ after he prayed for them for five years. Okay, by the way, that's the smallest number you're going to hear. So one of the people in his life that he knew was lost came to redemption in, in five years. Two of them were redeemed after he prayed for them for 10 years. Okay. Another one was redeemed, now making the total of four, after he prayed for them, this person, for 25 years. 25 years. Five years, one was redeemed. Ten years, two were redeemed. The fourth one came in after 25 years of being prayed for by George Mueller. The final one of the five that were on his heart that he knew, the final one of the five came to redemption a few months after he died in 1898. He was redeemed after 52 years that George prayed for him. 52 years. So the patience that God has is, is is you see what what Peter is telling us and Paul told us it's really tied to his desire that no one perish. And we should have that same attitude. 
you look, you may get to the point that you're, you're done having conversations in person because maybe they lead to arguments. I can relate to that. Uh, maybe they don't go well. Well, get on your face and pray for them. Get on your face and pray for them and, and, and thank God for his patience that this person that you know or love has not yet been condemned because the Lord is delaying his return or is keeping this person alive. So, so be diligent uh, in, in, in your prayers for them and remember about the patience that we have been given as well. So uh, the next part is, is, is that, um, you know, Peter throws in this, this word for, of admiration uh, that you see uh, to his brother Paul in verse 15 as well. And I love this because if, if you remember this, for some of you out there that are petty, uh, you know, if, if there's one thing we need to remove from our life is pettiness, you know, that we don't want to forgive somebody or we can't ever forget what somebody said to us. If you go to the book of Galatians, you will find uh, in chapter 11, uh, and you can you can read through what happened here with, with Peter um, involving Paul. As you know, Peter struggled you know, Paul was the one who, 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 who led the way in trying to teach the original 12 that redemption is for the Gentile as well. You know, Peter was, was all in on his own people, you know, coming to know Christ, and he was ready to preach to his own people as a, as a Jewish man. But he struggled because his entire life he had learned to hate, despise, and consider Gentiles to be unclean people. Um, and, and so Paul was the one who said, hey, these Jewish rituals and all this stuff about circumcision, and all that, hey, that's not in play when it comes to redemption. And he, he took Peter and, and held him accountable in front of everybody because there's an incident in Galatians, which is documented in chapter 11, where Paul called Peter out because Peter was hanging around some Gentile people until these Jewish people that he knew showed up, and then he acted like he had nothing to do with the Gentiles, went over and sat with the Jewish people, wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Uh, you know, God, uh, you know, called him to go to the house of, of, of Gentiles when he didn't want to because he considered them unclean and even eat whatever they served. You know, so so Peter had a, a struggle, really, with what you could call racism. Uh, he, he didn't care for Gentile people. Uh, Paul helped him to overcome that disdain, but instead of Peter pouting about Paul getting on him and holding him accountable, he writes in his final letter on earth a word of admiration for Paul, not a time to dig at Paul. He's not holding that against Paul. He, know that Paul, he knows that Paul did that because he wanted Peter to be right as a follower of Christ and not have an area of his life that he didn't have right. See, some of you out there watching this and listening, you're, you're so, you're, you're so prideful that, that if anybody has ever spoken to your life and said something about you that was correct, by the way, that they came to you biblically correct and they called you out for something in your life that, that wasn't right. Instead of you admiring that person, for loving you enough or acknowledging that person was right and, and thankful for the correction that they helped you make, you still hold a disdain against them. You're still pouting about it. Well, Peter wasn't. He holds Paul in high regard. Uh, Peter was, um, uh, was man enough to know that Paul was right and he corrected his behavior. Uh, and, and he did not harbor dislike of Paul 
because look what he calls him, his beloved brother, Paul. Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother, Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom that was giving him. So he calls him, he, he doesn't say, and yeah, I know Paul says some stuff about that. Of course, he's so full of himself, always going around telling everybody what they're doing wrong. No, he didn't have that attitude. He was Peter was not a scoffer. You ever been around those people? You try to hold them accountable, and instead of listening to you, they scoff at it. Oh, hey. You know, they always think that you're self-righteous or full of yourself because you had a biblical fact that that was wrong in their life and they weren't man enough or woman enough uh, to acknowledge it. And and they instead, they 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 didn't thank you for holding them accountable. And, and the Proverbs talk about this, you know, that that a fool uh, will be angry if you try to speak accountability into their life. But it's a, uh, it's a wise person that listens uh, to exhortation. So Peter was wise. He listened to the exhortation of Paul and acknowledged that he was right. Paul was a, a man of intellectual genius, uh, fearless courage, transparent honesty, strategic vision, tireless zeal. He was single purpose minded. He, he had uh, uh, just an incredible loyalty to the people uh, that he served with. He had immense compassion, uh, and he also had sterling above reproach character and people either loved Paul or they loathed him. That's what I love about the apostle Paul. There was no middle ground with Paul. People either loved him or they hated him and they loved him for the right reasons. And you know what? Usually when they hated him, it just said more about how, how, how wonderful Paul was, not how great these people were. Those that went against him looked bad. And those who loved him looked like they made the right decision. And Peter clearly loved him. Uh, because Paul had taught him to love the Gentiles. Paul opposed, uh, you know, a setting up the church only in Jerusalem and didn't want Jerusalem to become this mother church. And the only people that were going to be Christians were Jewish people. Paul rejected that idea, and he said it must spread throughout the earth. And you know what? Peter came to appreciate Paul's genius and appreciate Paul's vision and the fact that he's writing these letters to Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles, these last letters, you see that he actually listened to Paul. Now we have verse 16, talking about Paul. Uh, he says, now, not only did he talk about the patience, he says, Paul also said, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in, in them of these matters, there are some things, listen to what he says about Paul, in them that are hard to understand, talking about the letters of Paul, which also means that Paul's letters, even while Peter was still alive, they were considered Scripture. So, so this garbage that they were not Holy Spirit inspired or, you know, these people that will go through the New Testament and they'll pull out the letters of Paul and say, well, I don't know that I really want to listen to Paul. Peter did. Peter absolutely did, and he he acknowledged that Paul's letters were God-inspired, that they were called Scripture. So he says in these letters, there are things that are hard to understand, but then he goes on with and admonishes us a little bit for saying that we think that Paul's letters might be hard to understand or some of the concepts, and they can be uh, in the letters of Paul. But Peter goes on to say, if you call them hard to understand, he says, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destru uh, destruction as they do the other scriptures. So there's that word scripture. 
So what did he call Paul's letters even in his lifetime? Scripture. It, it's right here. I'm, I'm pointing at the Bible. Peter referred to Paul's letters as Scripture. God breathed. God, God inspired while he was still alive. So Peter acknowledges that some of Paul's writings can be hard to understand. But he, then he goes on to say, but be careful to take the time to understand them because the ignorant and unstable, and, and the word, the Greek word here for unstable also means unbalanced, they twist, or the Greek word for here would say torture the Scripture. So to, to make sure that these people don't fool you, remember the original for, uh, reason for this second letter, watch out for false teachings Watch out for heresy and apostasy to come up out of the church, just like the persecution that's coming from uh, from inside the church, just like the persecution that's coming from outside. You need to learn to interpret Paul's letters and all Scripture properly. No passage should ever be divorced from its context. Boy, I've learned this in the last few years of my walk with Christ. Be very, very careful that you always take a larger view of a passage. Uh, it should be grasped from a larger view before attempting to come to grips with its details. Be sure you understand the micro concepts of any given scripture before you start digging in to the micro details. Because if you don't get the macro right, as you dive into the micro details, you're going to hit those details in the wrong context. Remember, one of the things I've learned by Bible teachers that have helped me tremendously, be sure that your theology rises up out of scriptures, not you taking your theology and forcing it down on top of scripture. That's incorrect. And when you see this a lot, it's somebody that's based their entire theology on like one verse. They, they, they've never taken the time to read the entire Bible to realize the way they're interpreting this one verse is incorrect uh, because they, they, they don't understand the entire concept of the Bible, or maybe they don't understand, you know, who this uh, particular book of the Bible, who's this letter being written to, uh, what's going on during this time, uh, what, what, what are these references referring to? Uh, during the time that it was written. All these things are extremely important to fully understand. And when you're going through a chapter of the Bible, you can't just pull one verse out. You know, it's just like the the whole thing of, you know, while we run into people, you know, putting on run-through signs at high school football games, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, you know, back before they, you know, back when they would still let you do that in a government school. Um, well, well, you have to understand the entire book of Philippians, you you got to know what's going on. You got to know what Paul is talking about, so that you understand that that is not a a scripture about victory. It's not a scripture about God's going to give me what I want. That that's not what it's about. It is a scripture about suffering. It's a scripture about enduring whatever you have to endure to be right with God or to advance His kingdom, and He'll give you the strength to endure anything, not to accomplish anything, but to endure anything, no matter what situation you're in. It's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. So um, so you need to know the scope and the purpose of the books. Uh, you need to know, as I said, who's being addressed. Theology or doctrine should never be based on one scripture. Say it again. Theology 
and doctrine should never be based on one piece of scripture. And Peter says, be careful not to wrestle uh, scripture to, to, to one's own destruction. And he says, cults, uh, one of the commentaries are famous for this, you know, where, where they, they try to pull one, one scripture out of a, out of the, of an entire book of the Bible or out of the entire Bible. And they build a cult without knowing all the different things about this scripture. And see, if you don't know that, then some cult leader or, you know, as he said, some unstable person, some ignorant person, some, some pastor somewhere, and I use that word loosely, uh, some church leader, somebody who's written some book that, you know, you're reading some Rob Bell book or something, and you don't know that this is apostasy. You don't know this is heresy because you don't know the Bible from a macro view well enough to understand that somebody's taking the micro detail and they're abusing it. And, and what he's saying is this could lead to your own destruction. That, that, that's why this is extremely important. So he says uh, now things to be aware of, uh, to beware of in verse 17 and 18. You should, listen, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, now this is big. Don't be carried away by these people. I, I love, I love, you ever heard this phrase before? To be forewarned is also to be forearmed, right? I mean, have you ever noticed that? You see this all the time. If you look up and you see a road sign and you're driving, don't you like when a road sign tells you, hey, real narrow curve coming? What if you didn't know that? What do you do when you see there's a real narrow turn coming, especially if you're right on the road you've never been there before? Well, you slow down, uh, and you get ready to take a sharp curve. What if there were no signs? You had no idea. Here You're, you're riding along at the at speed limit, or maybe you're exceeding it a little bit, and you have no idea the sharp curve's coming. Well, that could be problematic. But when you know it, then you prepare yourself for it. I mean, how many times do, do you love when somebody – have you ever like been going on a trip somewhere? Uh, you know, uh, maybe you're going to some theme park. You're you're a new parent. You got small kids. Don't you like talking to somebody? That says now, look, let me give you a heads up. Now, don't do this. And look, when you see this, now don't do that. Do this. Don't. And in this, now let me tell you what you don't need to do. Don't you love that? Because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I'm now prepared. Uh, and what Peter is saying is there are wicked people out there, and they're lawless, which, by the way, the Greek word here is A-T-H-E-S-M-O-S, asthesmus, I'm guessing, uh, athesimus. But anyway, this is a word. That's not the kind of Greek either way I said it then. This is the same word <clears throat> that is used for the lawlessness of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's saying these kind of Sodom and Gomorrah lawless people are out there, they're wicked. Uh, they're, they're torturing Scripture. They're abusing Scripture. And if you don't get ready for what's coming, if you don't know the Word of God the way you need to know it, with all that is coming, they're going to carry you away, and you're going to lose your stability. Or, or the word here in, in Greek is, is the word that means like a foothold, like you know, you're trying to climb up and you, you, you got a good solid foothold. Don't lose your, your, your foothold. So here's what he's saying. 
don't go with these wicked people. He almost says, um, don't go, but do grow. Write that down. That's a, that's a little little cute cute little phrase. Uh, don't go, meaning don't be drug off by all these false teachers and these false prophets, but do grow, which means if, if I don't want to be carried off by these people and I don't want to go, then I got to grow in my knowledge of Scripture. Don't do this, but let me tell you what you do need to be doing, because here's here's what a lot of plans are, and it was my plan for way too long. And I had this goofy plan of I'll just kind of wait and see what happens. How many times in your life has your game plan been, let's wait and see what happens? That's a good one, isn't it? Hey, that really, really leads to a lot of problems. Uh, no, we need to know what we're doing and, and, and be prepared for what's coming uh, if we don't want to have a negative experience or if we don't want to be um, you know, fooled and carried off by some of this ridiculous teaching. There's a, there's a lot of people – um, you know, I was talking to a guy one day and he started going down the road about some podcast he'd found. And I said, Hey man, do do you know that podcast? Uh, what you just said to me is not biblically sound. Well, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, at the, at the beginning, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm just reading this guy. He's talking about, you know, God may not be who we've always been told he was. And we got to go back and remember, you know, that originally, you know, God was nothing but love, man. Well, you know, God is love. There's no doubt about that. But that's not the only thing in his character. Um, you, if we don't teach, and that's what we're going to get into in our next series, Knowing God, you have to teach everything about God. And the guy was like, we have to go back and remember, you know, that uh, that God God loved us. And, you know, we got to remember the love. No, that is a great thing to know that God loved us. It is. But I said, now, you do realize, though, that in Genesis chapter 6, uh, that God was so put out with people that he regretted ever making us, and he killed everybody but eight people. So we need to be sure we include that uh, so that when he gets ready to do this the second time and the final time, as as Peter warns us about, uh, when everything is going to be burned and the elements are going to be torn apart and those that are not redeemed will be destroyed with every ounce of sin, with Satan, with the third of the demons that went against God, all that's coming to an end. So we need to know that too. And that that still works because God loves us enough that he offered redemption. But we need to know why we were offered redemption. There's a reason for that. And that is because, because God is also holy and his wrath will be handed out on anyth- anything and everything that is not holy so we better know that too, or we don't even understand redemption. You see the point? You got to know the whole thing. So, so anyway, that that is what he's saying. You need to grow in your knowledge of God. Remember our next series. It, it ties, it, it's going to flow right off of this. You can even know about God, but not know God. This cannot be a casual relationship, and it cannot be kind of a surfacey, inch deep, mile wide knowledge of God. You got to you got to know what you're talking about. So it's, it's so so listen to this. So then he goes on to say this. He wants to end the letter and he's going to close with the word that 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 is is the word that we all love to hear because it is the truth about God that that gives us hope and that is his grace. Now, don't miss that Peter is going to close this letter in very much the same way that Paul does. Back to this relationship between Paul and Peter again. 
and and he's going to remind us that we need to look at look at verse 18 but grow in the grace praise the lord in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen so he is saying that we need to grow but we also need to grow in grace think of god's saving grace grow in the truth of jesus and his sacrifices for us get to know jesus understand about his saving grace you've got to get to know you can't just uh, servicely understand this grace word and not know what it means not know what cost it came at not understanding why jesus did what he did you know we we have we have God's sovereign grace, meaning that you know that that you know he he put together a plan to overcome the obstacles that Satan placed before us. So there's the sovereign grace. We got to understand everything about grace. There's that sovereign grace, the the plan of redemption that God put into action to counter move Satan's move when he went in and rightfully took over authority of the earth by coaxing us away from God and to sin. So then Jesus comes to take us back into that proper relationship with God and, and takes that and gives us gives that back to us. And that was God's sovereign grace, a plan he put in, into work even before the dawn of time. But then we have God's sustaining grace. It sanctifies and it gives us the power to survive on this narrow path that Jesus says that we all embark on if we're going to follow him. Remember, he said the road is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and many are on that path. But those of us that will be redeemed and have been saved by grace through faith, okay, by grace through faith, that faith is a faith of action. We now enter a narrow gate, and there's no way for us to stay on that narrow path without a sustaining grace, that power in that grace that is changing us and sanctifying us and sanctifying us into the people that Jesus says we have to be. And we can't do it. How do we do it? By taking action of pursuing Christ, following Christ, being sanctified. Remember what Paul said to Thessalonica, it is the will of the Father that your sanctification continues. That's that sustaining grace. And I got news for you. If, if God's grace hasn't changed you, and if God's grace hasn't changed me, we've never experienced God's grace. Yes, it is a sovereign grace, but it's a sustaining grace. And then guess what else it is? It's a sufficient grace. Praise God for that. Jesus conquered all of our problems, even eternal death. Our sin, yes. But when he walked out of that tomb, he also overcame our eternal death. Peter learned from Paul that Jesus' grace was and is sufficient. We must pursue a lifelong quest to know Jesus Christ. We must. It's a sovereign grace. It's a sustaining grace. And it is a sufficient grace. And here is Peter ending this letter by saying we need to grow in the grace, know everything about it, and we need to have knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do we need knowledge about Jesus? Well, I'll tell you why, because I can't love anybody that I don't know. And, and, and I can't obey anybody that I don't love. 
Jesus said in John 14, in our study of the gospel of John, if you love me, then you'll obey me. Well, I can't uh, know anybody I've never met, and I can't love anybody that I've never known, and I can't obey somebody that I don't love. So there has to be a pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'll ask you, how much knowledge do you, ha- do you have of your Lord and Savior? If you claim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you claim that he's all-encompassing and that he has saved you from the depths of hell, he has redeemed you of all sin, how well do you know your Lord? Well, it's important that you do. Peter says in the last thing he's going to say on, on this side of eternity He says you need to grow in grace, understand this grace, but you also need to have knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should never stop the pursuit of knowing everything we could possibly ever grasp and know about Jesus. Because the more that I get to know him, man, the more I love him. And the more I love him and the grace that he's afforded me, the more that grace continues to sanctify me. And the more that he sanctifies me, the, the less I feel captive to the sins of my flesh and the sins of this world. It's true. I, I can't tell you a uh, you know a game plan uh, that that are some new code of conduct or legalism that has taken away the power of sin over me in my life. Jesus did, but that happened with my pursuit of Him and that sanctifying power of that sustaining grace. Then he says to wrap up uh, the, the letter and to wrap up, this is the last time we hear from Peter on earth, to him, to Jesus, to him be the glory. Is that how you live your life? Peter is on his way out and he's not saying on his way out, oh, by the way, I'm about to be martyred and um, to me be the glory. Hey, remember me, hold me in high regard. You need to know a lot of knowledge about me. No, he, he didn't. He said, in his final words that, that were going to be written down, either physically by his hand or through Silas or someone else who was writing it, to him, to Jesus, be the glory. Man, I hope that's how I die. I, I, I think a lot of us live our lives, and I've been guilty of this, so this is me talking about myself too. We live our lives hoping that we live in such a way that it brings us glory, that people will always remember us. To us be the glory. Now, Peter is saying we should live our lives that when we die, to him be the glory. That, that people look at who Jesus was in our life, and they think a lot of him, even if they don't think much of us. To him be the glory. So, at this point, Peter is done either dictating his final letter, or he's putting the pen down. And we have heard the last of him on this side of heaven. And you know what was coming for him pretty quick? The old knock on the door. And that Nero, and and not not literally Nero, but the people that Nero sends out, um, they find him. And he was arrested, and he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. So the very man who at one time, when it came Uh, the opportunity to go to the cross with Jesus. He did not go. He abandoned Jesus before he got the Holy Spirit. But then Peter gets the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and Peter is reconciled back to Jesus. And even in these letters, we see that he was committed to doing exactly what Jesus told him to do.
to feed you and me, to tend to you and me, to exhort you and me, to prepare you and me, to give us the forewarning of how we should live. And then he gets crucified. And and many of the uh, commentators of the day who were journalists of the day, uh, there's pretty strong evidence. Not everybody believes it happened this way. Everybody believes he was crucified because that, that's, that, that's true. Uh, but there are some indications that he was crucified upside down uh, because he said that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord and Savior was crucified. So uh, to degrade him, they crucified him upside down. But do you remember that um, Jesus told Peter, that when this day came, that he would be with him, that Peter would not suffer alone, he would not be crucified alone, that he would be comforted by the very presence of his Lord and, and Savior. So you know what Peter said by going to a cross, whether it was just a straight-up crucifixion or crucifi- crucified upside down? You know the last thing that he said to everybody? To him be the glory. To Jesus be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words. And I hope that uh, we hear them and we adhere to them and we apply them to our lives. If we don't sense right now a, a purging of the American church, then I don't know what we're paying attention to. Uh, Yes, there is persecution coming from the outside by overreaching governments, but uh, in this second letter, we probably see more of the second warning from Peter in the second letter, and that is the apostasy and the heresy and the false teaching that is rising up within the church. And may we listen to the warnings of Peter, and may we be about knowing everything that we should know about your inspired word And, Lord Jesus, that we should know everything about you so that no one can say anything against you and fool us. I pray, Lord, that you be with us. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that's watching this or listening to this right now uh, that is yet to be redeemed or maybe just need to repent of sin in their life of things that Peter convicted them of today, that that would take place. And I pray if you're out there right now and, and you think, I, I don't know that I know what I need to know about Jesus. Maybe it's because you've never been redeemed. And today, you did, for the first time you meant it or for the first time um, in your life, you say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin, Lord, and I turn to you. I submit to your authority and I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe that you defeated my sin and eternal death when your father rose you from the dead on the day when you walked out of the tomb. And Lord Jesus, I know that if I die my earthly death before you return, I will stand in your presence, either redeemed or condemned. Or if you return in my lifetime on that day, I will stand redeemed or condemned. And Lord, today I want to be redeemed. And I ask that you save me. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If you've said that prayer for the first time in your life or maybe the first time you ever meant it, reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com. I'll be happy to work with you and help you any way that I can. Hey, thank you for being with us through this study of First and Second Peter. 
I hope you'll continue to stay with us as we start next week. If you want to go ahead and get you a copy of the J.I. Packer book, uh, Knowing God, uh, and you can go through it together, uh, or no need to do that. Uh, I'll walk through it uh, for you and with you when we come back for next week's Bible study. Thanks for being with us.